following broadcast has been approved for Elite Hornets fans. What a block by Cody Zeller. Walker down the lane, drive, shoots, scores! Game over! Bringing back the buzz was only the beginning. We will not go quietly into the night. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. It's Hive Talk Live. Welcome in, Hornets fans. This is Locked on Hornets, presented by Hive Talk Live. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. I'm Doug Branson, joined by a man who has carnal thoughts about Roy Hibbert's shoe collection. That's David Walker. David, welcome in. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. uh, Hello. Hello there, Doug. Hi. Hi. Katie says she, uh, producer Katie says she really likes these editions of um, uh, my introductions of you. I bet she does. (laughs) I don't think I don't think you like them. Um, I tell you what, they surprise me every time. Though <laughs> that's so, right, I never so tell you something. Something to be said for that. We are now part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Starting in September, we will be on daily. That's right, we're on. We're going to be on Monday through Friday. So make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, however you get your podcast fix and get your daily dose of Hornets news and analysis. We're returning live this fall, and I'm ready to announce that it will not be exclusively on our YouTube channel. We're also going to be on Facebook. You can watch us and chat with us live on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Go to YouTube for now. Search Hive Talk Live, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live for more information. If you have questions, comments, or want to advertise with us, email buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com. Coming up, David, we've got part two of our interview with Hornets radio sideline reporter and WFNZ primetime host Chris Kroger. Plus, we check in with JB from PosterDunk.com. He's been on the show before. He covers the French national team. And he reveals that not everything is rainbows and sunshine between Nick Batum and the fans of the French national team heading in to these 2016 Rio Olympics. So, David, if you're ready, let's talk some hoops. All right, first up, CBSSports.com released rankings of all 30 NBA starting units and all 30 bench units. Not surprisingly, David Charlotte not getting much love from the national media. In terms of the starting lineups, the Hornets rank 20th. And, Mm -hmm. uh, well, I'll get to uh, my issue with that here in a second, but uh, the bench unit ranked 28th out of 30. Yikes. All right, so David, uh, I want to get your thoughts first, and then I'll I will go on my ten minute rant. Uh, what are your thoughts on these rankings? You've had a chance to look at them, read them, for, hear from the CBSSports.com staff. What do you think? Yep. Well, are we going to start with the bench or the or the starters or as a whole. I mean, for me, the, the starting thing. Well, okay, so first of all, you pointed this out, Doug. Right? They've got Roy Hibbert as the starting center, which we don't think that's going to be the case. So that probably stole your thunder there, but. That's okay. That's, that's one issue. That's Don't one trust issue, me. My right? thunder is fully intact. You have plenty of more thunderbolts. Uh, so that's one thing. I mean, these things, and we've talked about these season preview stuff, you know, fill up the summer, things before. But um, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. I mean, the, the summary they said was if the starters play well, Charlotte's good. If they don't, they're not good. <laughs> was the end of this? Was the summary right? Which another another keen Wait a observation minute. you made? Wait you a minute. That for most teams. Are you telling me that if the starting five, the players that play a majority of the minutes in the rotation, if they don't play well, then the right. team will not play well. It suffers. It suffers. <laughs> it's very odd. 
very strange yeah. to me. No, my here's my issue. It's not with the rankings because I I expect and I've said this many times on this show that you have to earn respect from national media by winning playoff series. It's the only way sure. that it happens. You could win 60 games for 3 seasons in a row and if you get bounced in the first round, you're getting no respect. Ask the Atlanta Hawks. They don't they still don't get any national respect and it's because they haven't had the sustained deep playoff runs. And and I think that's what what Charlotte has to do. Okay, so I don't care that the starting unit is 20th. I don't care that the bench unit is 28th. I tend to agree more with with ranking the the bench unit low because I like uh, Chris Kroger, who we're going to speak to in just a little bit or or air part two of that interview. I'm not sure about this bench unit yet. I mean, they've made a lot of risky bets on Marco Bellinelli and Roy Hibbert. And if those don't pan out, they panned out last year with, with Jeremy Lin Courtney Lee, bringing those guys in, that panned out. Jeremy Lamb at the beginning of the season. But if they don't pan out this season, then the bench unit could be stinky, stinky. So I'm okay with the rankings because I just think it's it's kind of silly anyway to rank them this early. Okay? Here's where I'm well, upset. Certainly. Here's what makes me upset, David. I expect just basic research, basic competency. And when I see Roy Hibbert in the projected lineup, and it did say, the summary did say the presumption of Roy Hibbert starting here is questionable. But you can replace him with Cody Zeller with really no net loss. Well, again, that's another thing I see. Cody Zeller gets zero uh, respect from national media. And, and, And I think that's probably more undeserved than the Hornets team as a whole not getting respect because I think Cody Zeller has grown substantially every year. And and he's he's shown some things that a that an NBA center uh, that a modern NBA center should be able to do, and that a traditional NBA center hasn't been known for his ability to get up and down the floor, his ability to uh, defend and switch in the pick and roll. Those are all great things about Cody Zeller. And when you pair him with Nick Batum, uh, those two can be pick and roll offensively pick and roll beasts. Okay, but you know that why put Roy Hibbert in the starting lineup then? I mean, Cody Zeller was the starting center. Plenty of articles written about Cody Zeller solidifying his place in that starting five role. He grew tremendously when he was putting that put in that starting role. So I just don't understand it. Well, one thing I'll say about this is this was put together, I guess, by a panel, right? And the summary for the, this 20th ranking basically says it's surprising that the panel docked this team so much after a run to the 60 last year, which... We all know tied for the third best record in the East, so it was a little better than just your run of the mill six seed, I guess. But I mean, if you look at the starting lineup, right? So you have MKG. We don't know what that's going to be like. You've got Marvin Williams, who's a guy that we've talked about. Is he going to be able to repeat his, you know, breakout performance from last season, uh, this many years in the league? And is Nick Batum going to be able to come back on the heels of a big contract? So, I mean, there's questions here, like there's questions everywhere. And Charlotte does not have a superstar, which when you scroll down and start looking at the teams that are now ranked ahead of them, for the most part, they either A, have a superstar or two or three, or they are one of these teams and two of them pop into my mind uh, immediately that everyone is jumping on the bandwagon this year. And those are Minnesota Timberwolves and the Utah Jazz. And the Utah Jazz are ranked fifth, the fifth best starting lineup in the NBA goes to the Utah Jazz and the Timberwolves a group that has not even come close to, to making the playoffs 
is ranked 12th. So, I mean, you know, I think when people look at these, they get excited and they get, um, you know, especially the T-Wolves. There's a, there's a lot of praise going on that young group right now. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think Carl Anthony Towns is a super-duper star, and I think he's amazing. But there's plenty of questions to go around in that group. I mean, who knows what kind of player Zach Levine is going to be uh, or, or or Wiggins for the long term at this point anyway. So you're right. I mean, these rankings, it's silly to do it this early. It's it's more for fun than anything. Um, but if you don't have a sexy factor, and I'm bringing, I'm bringing sexy back today, Doug, uh, it's hard to it's it, it's hard to get up in these rankings. And Charlotte, you know, despite a, a valiant effort in the first round last year, did not get a playoff win. Don't have a marquee player, still a star player. So that's gonna they're gonna get docked for that. And then you throw in the question marks. It's just odd to read the summary, and the summary is actually more positive than the ranking. Um, but that's the way these things shake out. So it's weird. I don't understand. I mean, the Miami Heat, I, I just don't – I am not in love with their bench. Briante Weber, Deion Waiters, Josh Richardson. That's – I love Josh Richardson. That, he's great. But Josh McRoberts can't give Josh McRoberts away right now. Derek Williams. I mean, that bench unit to me. And they rank them 24th. They rank them four spots ahead of the Hornets. I don't understand it. I mean, there there are a couple that I, that I could take issue with when comparing them to the Charlotte Hornets. But here's the thing: when you take risks on players that did have uh, pretty awful years the, the previous year, which the Hornets have done now two years in a row, you know you you can't expect to be uh, to have your team ranked very high. And and it's right. all about proving yourself on the court, proving yourself this season. And that I think that ranking will certainly go up. And more or less that and, and having some unproven guys still, Lamb, who knows, um, Frank, still kind of wait and see. So a little bit of the undetermined roles there as well. When you factor in guys that don't have, you know, have a bit of a stink on them coming in, I mean, that's you're going to get a low ranking, I think, there. Let's get to our first guest, David. The Rio Olympics begin tonight. The opening ceremonies kick off uh, tonight. Should be a great, um, at least the competition should be great. I don't know about all the stuff around the competition. And I know we're excited about USA basketball and about the basketball competition at large. Uh, The only Hornets player that will be competing in Rio, Nick Batum, competing for the French national team. So we we brought on a familiar voice, JB from PosterDunk.com. He covers the French national team and gave us some insight not only into Nick Batum, but also into how the French national team plays. Take a listen. So first of all, congrats to him on on the big contract. I think it's the the biggest contract in French um, sport history. So now he's very famous in French. He's this uh, this guy from Normandy, and he he signed a huge contract. So congrats to him, and therefore I think he has a huge pressure on him uh, this year, particularly because like in the last years he wasn't ready, he wasn't playing at his best, and we talked about it after the uh, last uh, European Championships. That's right. We had you on uh, when the Hornets made the trade for Nick Batum. We scouted Nick Batum, and you talked about his struggles in those uh, European championships. Do you expect him to have those same kind of struggles, and what do you think his role will be in these uh, 2016 games? Um, so, first of all, his role should should really be uh, bigger, and I think it's going to be a breakout tournament for him. Uh, especially because it's the last tournament for Tony Parker, for Boris Diaw, the two captains of the team. And um, 
we are assuming he will be captain in the next maybe five years or six years, I don't know, but uh, it should be a huge tournament for him. I would be really disappointed if it's not. He's the best defensive guy on the wing, so it got that for him. Um, but a lot of people in France are actually really worried about uh, his level of playing for the pre-Olympic Games. Um, we had like three games against Serbia, Croatia, and Argentina. Three lost, uh, three games lost. And he was nowhere to be found. So I, I'm quite worried about it, to be when, honest. When you say nowhere to be found, was he not taking an active enough role? Or or was he taking an active role and just wasn't performing very well? He wasn't taking an active enough role, uh, to be honest. So he had this contract situation, you know, France, where it, it was it was quite a weird uh, qualification process. We had to, uh, to go through a, a OQT. Um, Olympic qualifying tournament. It was in the Philippines, and uh, and he was not playing until the semifinals because of the contract situation uh, at Charlotte. Um, but Batum has been like just passive, like playing defense, but not nowhere to be seen on offense. And that's something we have seen in the past like three years regularly. So of course, it's better when when um, the pressure is here. It's better during the tournament, but it's always good to see him at at least a good level before the tournament, and it hasn't been the case, to be honest. We've seen the United States play several warm-up games heading into Rio. I know that that France played in that Olympic qualifying tournament. Have they played any kind of warm-up games heading into Rio apart from that? Yeah, yeah. They actually played um, one tournament in Argentina called like the four-star tournament. I don't know the, the name exactly, but they played against Serbia. They played against Croatia and against Argentina. And it was like three lost. Uh, yep, three lost. And um, a huge, huge loss against Serbia for the first game. Really, um, Serbia scored 105 points, which in FIBA basketball is a lot. Uh, and then they lost against Croatia and Argentina in a uh, in really bad fashion way. So even Pietrus, one of the uh, oldest guy on the team, he said, uh, guys, I don't know if going to Rio is enough for you, but we need to do more. And people are quite alarmed about the uh, the level and intensity French the French team is showing. So really, it's it's not a good way to get into the Olympics, and it's not a good way to enter any tournament. But the Olympics, wow! Like now the pressure is on, and the the group is not okay. It might be the best group, Group A. So France is with the US Team USA. Um, might be the best group to 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 go further, but like. Wow, I'm I'm not looking forward to that Team USA France game. <laughs> that that's not that's not a case. Well, and and USA uh, far and away the consensus number one team heading into Rio. Do you see France as being a contender? They do have I uh, uh, I don't know if it's a lot of NBA talent, but they certainly have NBA level talent on that team. Do you see them as a contender for the number two spot? I, I know they've struggled. W- what do you think Nick Batum has to do to help them? be a possible contender with the United States? Um, to get uh, first the, the first point, the first question is, um, okay, Team USA is number one, and I think if Team USA sends like three teams, they will be number one, two, and three. First of all, that's the, <laughs> that's the general idea. Like I hear a lot of uh, US blogger and NBA people, just, they just say like France should be number two. That's right, they should be number two. The only thing is, the team hasn't been consistent enough. The three-point shooting isn't great. Um, and sometimes they just forget how to defend. So 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit worried about, about having a medal. I'm not sure. Uh, Spain is here and nobody talks about Serbia, Croatia and Lithuania. Three other um, huge teams from Europe and Serbia is like really overlooked. I'm, I'm quite surprised to be honest. And regarding the NBA talent, uh, you know as well that Evan Fournier, the Orlando Magic player, uh, is not coming to Rio. He has been cut by Vincent Collet. Um, that, was, that was a weird choice. Uh, because I think he's the future. But anyway, now we have the team. Tony Parker will be here. Nando De Colo, former NBA guy, EuroLeague MVP. Nick Batum, Boris Diaw, now the Utah Jazz uh, power forward, and Rudy Gobert as well. So we'll have a fun Utah Jazz uh, inside insiders. So we have a good team on paper. The only thing, the only issue is, should are, are we consistent enough? And that's the second point. Um, is Nick Batum, is Nicola Batum going to be consistent enough? Like he ha- he takes maybe three games to get into the tournament, and sometimes it's too late. You cannot take three games to get into uh, the Olympics. We know the f- uh, French first game is against Australia, and uh, then they play. I think it's uh, China and Serbia. So the third game is like the most important game um, of the tournament so far if they want to get off the first round at the second place. Because, okay, Team USA will be first, and then you need to have the second place to um, to hope to go to go really uh, far away. I'm just worried about the consistency. For those that are looking to see how Nick Batum plays for the French national team, tell us about how the French national team plays, their style, and how it compares to the United States. Well, this team has been playing together, like the, the, the five guys that are here in the starting five, they have been playing together except Gobert, but like for uh, the, the past six years, years, so they know each other really well. It's a very strong group, very mature. Uh, the style is obviously, um, uh, let's not call that European, but uh, a defense first. Um, when you have a guy like Gobert and Batum on the wing, uh, you have to play defense, um, especially against other European teams. And then it's a very uh, inside-out team. So a lot of good French players, a lot of good stuff is happening um, under, under the, the under the rim, in the paint. Um, and it's not really a good three-point shooting team. It has never been, I think it will never be, and this is where maybe we need uh, Evan Fournier at some point, but let's not rewrite history. So... Uh, French team is really defense first and then inside out. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of systems, tactical um, tactical trainings and tactical uh, how to say that like points uh, made by Vincent Collet, the coach. Um, so sometimes it can be boring, very stressful all the time, very competitive basketball. But like even for I think Australia, for example, will be an excellent start for the tournament because it will be a very uh, team very difficult to beat. And we'll see now if uh, the French players are able just to beat a very strong Australian team. That's that will be a good test for the for what's next. Big thanks again to JB from posterdunk.com. You can follow him on Twitter at posterdunk. He covers the French national team. Some great insight there, not only uh, into Nick Batum, but how the French national team will play. A much different style from the United States. It's very interior-oriented, not much going on beyond the arc. Uh, I imagine that the French national team will look to Nick Batum to fill in some of those gaps uh, from the three-point line, just like the Hornets did last season. 
Yeah, it's weird, Doug, because we heard the same thing going this time last year, right, when he was playing on the team and didn't have a great tournament. And the feeling from the fans was they were kind of down on him. So it's weird to, to still hear that. You wonder if, like, he's been playing on this team since he's, like, 14 or something, right? I mean, he's been playing on this team forever, kind of grew up in the team. Do you think there's any, like, you know, sometimes when you spend that much time with one group and one unit and you come up in as, like, a family, you're a little afraid to, like, step out and and, and, and be yourself or, or play your style or, you know, play the style he does. And, Charlotte, I just want – I don't know. I mean, it's weird. I can't – was there any explanation or – do you see any explanation as to why he kind of seems to struggle in this team lately? From every indication that I got in that interview and the interview that I did with JB last season, it's really a mystery. And and, and certainly it is <laughs> irritating to, to French fans uh, why he has struggled as of late. And I think it might have something to do with this transition of leadership in, in this team right. that he talked about where Tony Parker has been the leader for so long and now – they are looking to to transition into maybe a new style or a new team. And so guys are trying to figure out their exact roles. And I know that Nick Batum has clashed which, with uh, French national team coaches in the past when it comes to that. The, the interesting thing uh, that I heard in this interview as well is that, that French fans are frustrated by his passivity, uh, especially on offense. And I, I think weird, it's, right? well, it's weird because it's one of the hallmarks of the things that the the Hornets fans loved from Batum is is his ability to distribute and get other uh, players involved. I mean, he was a little passive yeah. at times in terms of scoring, but but the the fact that he opened up the offense for so many other players in Charlotte uh, was a, a thing that fans loved about Nick Batum last season. Yeah, that's why I wonder if there's just a a uh, a notion to defer, you know, to keep deferring to guys like Tony Parker and older guys that have been there. I don't know. Um, I think from a Hornets fan's perspective, though, and I don't know if you agree with me, Doug, I wouldn't worry about it at all. <laughs> like, I'm not worried about what he does in these Olympics as long as he stays healthy because, like we saw last year, he didn't have a great run in that tournament, and he had a, a, a great season for Charlotte uh, and the Hornets. So you don't worry about that too much, but you certainly want to see him play well, right? I think we're going to tune in to watch him and see what he can do, but you want to see him do some good things. Yeah, you can tune in. Uh, the first game, France against Australia is on Saturday, 1 o'clock or one fifteen p.m. Eastern time. But yeah, I, I'm the same way, David. Stay passive, Nick. Stay passive. Stay <laughs> yeah, safe. Right. Uh, shoot threes. Don't drive to the rim. <laughs> stay no, away no, from. Don't take any charges. No, stay away from Kevin Durant uh, and his. If he turns up the defense, stay away from. Oh, stay away from Draymond Green. Just don't don't get anywhere Just near that guy. Run the other way. Just run the other <laughs> run. way. If he so starts, we don't need any. No. International incident. No, if he starts flailing, I want you to run, take cover, find a safe place, uh, and 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 dial whatever the Rio equivalent tonight. Actually, I've heard stories about the Rio police. Don't dial them. Uh, just uh, just stay safe. Hey, real quick, want to give a big shout out to FanRagSports.com and Today'sFastBreak.com. They are featuring Locked On Hornets on every single one of their Charlotte Hornets articles. Uh, fast today's fastbreak.com a great resource for charlotte hornets fans and they also have today's pigskin.com so if you're gearing up for the panther season and and need some info on the team definitely check them out today's fastbreak.com today's pigskin 
Dot-com. Big thanks to them. All right, next up, we've got part two of our interview with Chris Kroger. He hosts primetime from 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock p.m. on WFNZ 610 The Fan. They now have a an FM signal, 102.5, and he's also the Hornets' radio sideline reporter, and that was the crux of our conversation, his uh, his preparations for sideline reporting, and also he gets a chance to talk with head coach Steve Clifford every week during the season on primetime, and we discussed that as well. If you missed part one of this interview, it was also fascinating. Make sure to check that out, audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash lock dash on dash hornets. Take a listen. Last season, you joined the Hornets broadcast team as a sideline reporter. Walk us through that preparation. Is it different than your than your three to seven show? Uh, and what's that prep like for for a game night? Yeah, I think it's it's totally different doing a live game broadcast. So, um, you know, working with Steve and Matt, it's just they make things easy. Honestly, our whole crew and James James Hamlin, who's holding things down in the studio, James does a good job. Um, and we're all NBA junkies, you know, so I think that's the other thing, too, is we all truly love the NBA, and when we're in commercial breaks, we're talking off air about, like, hey, man, did you see what happened in that in that Magic Hawks game last night? So we're constantly just eating, sleeping, breathing NBA basketball, so that's really helpful. But Matt, Matt and Steve do a great job in terms of just... I think we all do of trying to set each other up and just make each other better. And so that that's really helpful on that front. And the other thing is the Hornets PR staff is really good. And so I think they're I think they're maybe one of the best PR staffs, if not the best in the entire NBA. So they get uh, the idea of what can we do to help everybody out, whether it's our radio broadcast or our TV broadcast or just our local media that's covering the game. How can we facilitate that? So they do a good job in terms of, you know, whether it's feeding me a stat, um, whether I ask for something in in game, I mean they're great. Honestly, just to kind of like take you behind the curtain a little bit, I sit on the scorers table um, right next to Mike Ristaldi, who's their head of v, head of communications. And Mike was in Minnesota for the longest time. Mike has been named uh, PR guy of the year in the NBA before. Mike does a really good job, and I'll just say to him, "Hey, I feel like you know X, Y, and Z just happened. When was the last time that happened?" You say, "I don't know, but I'll look it up for you." And I'll send a quick text. Communication staff will have it for me within minutes at most. So, and then I'm able to go to air with that stuff. So, there's a lot of prep leading up, where I'll take a ton of notes. Um, and I did what I did last year was I had a about three or four sheet. Uh, document on on my iPad and I would update it and tweak it but just key stats that I was constantly rolling through and key nuggets I was rolling through and if something else popped up I'd add it to the sheet and I would just story stack honestly and so if I got to stuff throughout the broadcast great if not it's fine and then like I said as stuff evolves in real time that we didn't anticipate happened during a game their PR staff is really good in terms of trying to help us out. Do you have specific times that you know the broadcast is coming your way, and and do you have to prep things for that? Yeah. So what's static during the game during our broadcast is so I do the pregame show, which is twelve minutes I think long. So twelve minutes. It's for every game, home or away. I'm working sidelines only on home broadcasts. That's forty one games a year. Um, we don't do a live post game show. We do a quick wrap up, and then we 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 simulcast the TV feed uh, for our post game show, but. But um, pregame, once we get out of my pregame show, um, open fires. Steve Martin does his live open, which sounds fantastic. And then, you know, he'll toss a softball to Matt or two, ask him a couple questions, then he'll toss it down to me, and then I'll respond on something, and then I throw it to break. And after that, there's a coach interview. And then once we're to there, 
we're in live play by play at that point, and then you know we'll communicate constantly during breaks, and I'll, I'll tell him I actually have the ability to speak off air while we're on the air in queue to our engineer board out back in the studio, and I'll just tell him, hey, this just happened or injury update, I got something here. And he'll tell Steve in his ear sometimes, and Steve, if he thinks it's worthy, he'll go down to it live. If not, we'll discuss it in the next break. And oftentimes, I'll just take it out of the commercial break and give an update and toss it back to Steve. And then at halftime, last commercial break of the half, um, with about two minutes to go, I get uh, one of the assistant coaches for an interview, 60 seconds long maybe, and then I toss it to Steve, we go to a commercial break, and we're back in the second half. So it's pretty. we got into a rhythm, I think, in the first, you know, seven or eight games and you just roll you know you're doing 41 of those a year you kind of get you kind of get into a flow and for those that don't know i mean steve martin just has a wealth of hornets oh history yeah oh it's information. incredible yeah it's incredible and i it's funny because i can just ask him a question like hey steve didn't this happen back in 97 or remember when you know remember that game where glenn rice went off for 43 and he'll say oh yeah you know he'll he'll call you the officiating crew for that game so it's it's fantastic <laughs> trap yeah and he's always he's so great too because when i can come with a nugget or a stat he's always able to spin it in a way either talking about this year or talking about hornet's history so i mean he's just great i think i think our radio broadcast in general and matt lauer or scott lauer rather did a, a great job by himself for a long time it's a really tough ask to do um but i think the, we've poured some some real effort and energy into the radio broadcast to form a real crew, and I think it's the best it sounded. And honestly, since since the uh, since the expansion team came back, so during the season, and I don't know how how much you do this during the off season as well, but on prime time you have a weekly segment dedicated to talking hoops with head coach Steve Clifford. Uh, you've spoken to a lot of team officials in a variety of sports through the years. How does Clifford compare? He's just the real deal. You know, you hear people say that all the time in terms of, oh, there's no pretense or he's not putting on an act or he's a straight shooter. I mean, he is he is that. And that's why the players love him because if he's telling them something, it's it's coming from a place of I'm not messing with you. I'm not I don't have any ulterior motives here. I'm not trying to get something out of you. I want to see you do better. And I'm telling you, and and look, I'm gonna do this with you and I'm gonna do it with everybody else. I'm not playing favorites, I'm not playing favorites with the stars, I'm not playing I'm not really killing you because you're on the end of the bench. Here's what I see in you. And Brendan Haywood told me this recently uh, within the last year. Brendan told me, and this is this is no disrespect to that playoff team in, in, 2000 and, uh, in 2013, but that playoff team, he was saying, had no business being in the playoffs. He said, mm-hmm. we were basically Al Jefferson – and, a, and an okay Kemba Walker at that time. Right. You know, people don't, this is a completely different Kemba from two years ago. And um, he was, he, I mean, he was like, we weren't, we weren't a talented team. We had no business being in the playoffs. But he said, Steve Clifford showed up on day one, looked us all in the eyes and said, I'm going to demand accountability. We're going to work hard. We're going to have fun. We're all going to lift each other up. And he had one-on-one interviews with everybody and said, here's what you do well. Here's what you don't do well, and we're just going to forget the other stuff. We'll work on that later, but we're going to work on the stuff that you're really good at. And when he did that with every guy in the roster, it just lifted the whole team up, and and that's his that's his approach, and he's like that with everybody whenever they come in, and I think guys really respect that. I, I've never gotten a sense anytime I've talked to him on the record or off the record that he's ever trying to feed me something or he's trying to lead me in a different direction. He's just the real deal, and you know, I think guys really, really respond to that. Yeah, and a credit to the organization because it seems like they they are targeting players that obviously have talent, but also are are receptive to that kind of coaching style because not every player is. No, and and Jared Dudley had said this recently. I think he was on with uh, 
might have been with Zach Lowe on his pod, on his podcast a few months ago, and and this was before free agency started. Obviously, tail into the playoffs, and he said, "Who's the co-? Zach asked Jared Dudley? He said, "Who's the coach everybody's talking about in the NBA?" He said, "I'm not talking about you know the." You know the Eric Spolstras or the you know the the Steve Kerr's of the world, the Greg Popoviches. Give me the guy that you wouldn't expect, but guys really want to go play for this guy. And he didn't even hesitate. And he said Steve Clifford, because guys around the NBA like a Jared Dudley look at him and say, "Oh, he's going to make me better, and I'm going to go get that next." And especially in today's NBA, okay, I'm going to go get that next contract. He can he can show me how I can get better as a player. He's going to limit my limitations and deficiencies, and I'll be better off for it. So. He's built a reputation around the NBA, and for a smaller market team, I think that's huge. What's your philosophy when you go to speak to a head coach or a player, whether it's on prime time or, or in your sideline reporting duties? What What are your goals? What do you keep cognizant? What are you thinking about? You know, first and foremost, any and this is true. I think of any time I do an interview, because I've become of the mindset early on when I was doing interviews when I first started the show, I was. It becomes a crutch. It's just easy to do an interview, and it's easy filler. And then as time has gone on, I don't love. I don't want to do an interview unless I know I can get something out of it. Why am I going to talk to this guy? Why does the listener care why I'm talking to this guy? So if we do an interview, I want it to be of substance. I want it to to either be a person that people want to hear from or somebody who's going to offer um, some sort of expertise or a side that we haven't heard yet before, some sort of opinion. So um, when it comes to, to Coach Clifford, that's one of the first things I want to, I always think about is, well, what do fans want to know? You know, if I'm talking to him the night after a game, all right, who had a big game last night? Um, was it out of the ordinary? Why did that happen? Did somebody get more minutes? Why did somebody not play at all? So things like that come to the forefront. And And the other thing, too, is, I try, I think it's really easy as a a lot of people do this. And I mean, I get why we do it as social media, internet drives things anymore. People want sound bites and people want things that can be easily consumed and they want things to go viral, quite honestly. And so I think a lot of interviews are driven now by, hey, how can I get create viral content as opposed to, hey, let me just talk to somebody. And if I have a good conversation and viral content or comes out of that, then okay, okay, that's fine. So with Coach Clifford, I always just try and in general, and Ron Rivera is this way too. I think they're pr- two pretty similar guys. I, I try to just talk to them and have a conversation, and and I think they, I think Clifford in particular, because I talk to him every week. I think he gets that I'm not fishing for something. I'm not trying to get him in trouble. I'm not trying to land him on the front page of ESPN.com because he gave a quote that was you know that was easily chopped up and sounded right. So um, I just try to have a conversation, and I think it. I think especially as time went on through the season, we were doing it each and every week. I think he started to get more comfortable, and I think it showed. You know, I think sometimes players and and coaches or, or team officials don't really want to answer what fans want to know. I mean, there there are certain instances where, where that's the case. Have you ever had an, a situation like that where there was something uncomfortable that you felt like you needed to broach, and what strategy did you take in that instance? You know, I think the best way this is, uh, I don't know if this is good or bad strategy, but sometimes I just try to throw a little feeler out there, you know, bro- get into a get into a, a larger area, a closer area, and then you, you see what the comfort level is. And then, you know, if you sense, all right, well, you might be willing to talk about it. I try and, you know, hit with a very more specific question on the matter. That always works. Um, but, you know, there are times where, you know, I, I talked to uh, Rich Cho a few weeks ago after free agency and um, this was after they had signed uh, Christian Wood and it wasn't official yet. They hadn't sent out a release. It had just happened 
I think in the last hour or so, and you know, he just told me straight up, we can't, we can't talk about that. And but you know, unfortunately, the you know, this is radio. Unfortunately, by the time we hit the air with that interview that day, it was then official. But you know, when we taped it with him, he just told me flat out, I can't, I can't. I mean. I I could have asked him about it, but he would have said the same thing on the air. Sorry, I can't. You know, I don't I don't know anything about that. Or I hey, I can't really talk about specifics right now. So that happens too. And I just you know, in that case, you got to respect that and just walk the other way. Besides Steve Clifford, who has been your favorite uh, Hornets player or official to talk to? Oh, that's a tough question. Uh, I really like Marvin, and because I think Marvin gets it he i think he you know like you said i think there are certain i think a lot of players and i again i understand why they're re, they come in with that wall of defense up hey what are you trying to get out of me are you trying to get me in trouble are you trying to make me look bad or you know do you really just want to have a conversation or are you trying to get something out of it and marvin just gets the game he gets that you know and I think for a variety of reasons, Marvin's happy here. You know, he's playing good basketball here. He loves the organization. He loves, even though he's from Seattle, he loves he loves being in this um, in this area because he went to UNC, and so he's just comfortable here. And I think he he understands that there's there's an endearment with him and the fan base. So he's happy anytime we ask to just come on. Al Jefferson was always great too. So I'm going to miss Al and that creepy big old man laugh that he used to have too so that's unfortunate last question chris we've talked a lot about sports radio and you represent part of the future of sports radio and so where do you see how have you seen sports radio change since you started and where do you see it going in the future i think it's become really fragmented which is a good thing i think because as a as just as listening audience and people who consume media it should, I listen to so many podcasts myself, this podcast. I listen to, you know, there are so many different part, podcasts that just speak for Charlotte, some larger ones. I love all different. I, I just, it's easy to do. You know, you, you subscribe, you lock in. And I think that's become such a big part uh, of where media is going right now. I also think different personalities, ESPN, just, they just had some numbers released yesterday, I think, of, um, how much their their female listening audience has grown, and they have new female personalities on ESPN Radio, like Sarah Spain and Kate Fagan, and and so um, those are demographics that for a large t- long time were just ignored, and now I think people are waking up realizing, oh yeah, there are all sorts of people that want to consume stuff, so let's let's just chew, you know let's put some content their way, and so it used to just be you know jock talk radio for four hours or, or more every day and now things are kind of changing so things are just so fragmented the internet's such a great thing and like like with us you know we have an am signal we have an fm signal an hd signal we have the app we have the stream online we have podcasts too so things are just there's so many different ways anymore to consume media and it's on demand i mean i think there are a lot, a lot of people that listen to our show not from three to seven every day but maybe it's from you know seven to ten when they're getting off work and they're driving home after a long day and they're listening in their car or whatever so um, yeah, it's becoming fragmented, which I think is a good thing. I think for a long time that was a bad word, but I think it's a good thing right now. Well, I know I speak for David and myself when we say we're flattered that you you take the time out to listen to this show. Uh, David, uh, who couldn't be here for this interview, but he he said, please don't talk about Stranger Things on Netflix without me. Oh, no. was, <laughs> I, I said, don't worry. Yeah, we I haven't watched it. So yeah. I don't know what it is, yeah. so we won't talk about it. Uh, but so he, we'll have to get you back on and you yeah, guys can, love to. can wax uh, love to. Netflix. So uh, thank you so much. And it flatters us because we really think you, you are, are one of, if not the smartest uh, uh, voices out there in, in Charlotte Radio. Well, I so, appreciate that. So thanks so much for joining us. Fake it till you make it. That's what I always say. A lot of great stuff there from Chris. I want to start with what he had to say about Steve Clifford, and we've heard this Mm -hmm. time and time again. 
players love to play for head coach Steve Clifford. You know what's interesting, David? I just got through listening to Michael Kidd Gilchrist's his interview yep. with uh, uh, Woj on on the Vertical yep. podcast, and they discussed Clifford, and he talked about how initially, <laughs> initially he didn't like Steve Clifford because <laughs> Steve Clifford was so hard on him, and he you know he was a number two overall pick. There were a lot of expectations for his game, but uh, Kid Gilchrist went on to say that he began to understand that that he began to understand that Steve Clifford only wanted to make him better. And it's that classic NBA movie storyline where it's like, I'm only being hard on you because you're the best player, because I see so much potential in you. And, and again, mm-hmm. you just hear that over and over uh, in regards to Steve Clifford. Yeah, and another, another thing MKG said was he's just honest and he tells you what's what. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like from what Chris said there, that's exactly what he did. Another interesting thing was thinking back to when Biombo was here, right, and Clifford came in, and they basically simplified the game down for Biombo to say blocks and rebounds, right? Go go clean the glass and worry about that and just don't worry about anything else. And I started thinking about that when we were talking about Roy Hibbert and, you know, simplifying the game for him this year. Maybe that could help him. I mean, if he's just in there to defend the rim and do a few things to cause some uh, confusion down low on defense, I mean, that could be – a really good addition for the Hornets. But getting back to what you said about Clifford, yeah, I mean, that's – he's really becoming one of those coaches, super underrated, not around here because we mention him almost every show and we've seen what he's done with this group. You know, to turn this team around, what he's done is really special. And the more you hear players talk about it, you can really uh, see that's true, I mean, especially in MKG and when guys that were on the team come in and tell stories like that. So that's good to hear and as a Hornets fan. If you're a Hornets fan, you should feel good about having him there. Well, when you hear what Chris has to say on Steve Clifford and you hear what other players have to stay, say on Steve Clifford, and MKG talked about how he is just – he's a gym rat. He is He's a hard worker. He just loves to work hard on something, whether it's his shot or his conditioning or what have you. You get some insight into why – the organization brings in the type of players that they do and why certain players like up you know maybe PJ Harrison maybe Lance Stevenson I don't know there's certain players that don't jive well uh with the organization and I, and I think you you get a little bit of insight in, into why that may be the case because this is not an organization that's going to coddle you in any way it, it is an organization that's going to uh, expect a lot is going to demand a lot of you and and is going to be very honest when when that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're doing it the right way, too. I mean, I don't think they're that different from a lot of other NBA teams. If they've got a guy that's super-duper talented, they're going to put up with a little bit more on the headache side than they would if you're not contributing the right way. So when you see the guys that have not succeeded here and have not made the cut, it's because of that, you know, that they haven't fit um, in with the culture, I guess, and they've given multiple chances or just didn't fit. You know, I mean, Lance was Lance. I mean, I think he was, we'll probably always look back on him. He was an exception just because he was such a special, I don't know, case scenario, right? They, they brought him in to try and make a splash and just didn't work out. But you mentioned uh, PJ as well, certainly given a lot of chances, um, you know, certainly tried to fall in line there at the end when he started those games and, and tried to provide some defense. But, yeah, you're right. We go back to it all the time, Doug. The culture they're, bu- they're building here 
that is, I think it's the right way to build it. And you said it before too, you don't have to agree with the plan, but they have a plan in place. Um, and it's not anything that's going to be happening overnight, but I think by building that culture, they continue to get the right people in here and the consistency, right? That's the main thing they want to keep going. And, and you get that consistency, you stay in the playoffs, you get a win and then you make a big pop. So I think that's what they're trying to go for at least. Absolutely. And I have a lot of respect for Chris because, you know, he, he does the sideline uh, reporting for Hornets radio and, and you got to bring it every night. I mean, every game night yeah. you, you have to be on your game. Someone, a friend of mine sent me a a job opportunity or, or a job posting uh, for mm-hmm. in-game host for the Greensboro Swarm. They're looking for a host and they're looking for a PA announcer. And I said, I there you go. Listen, I'm in radio because I, I barely I'm just so low maintenance. I barely take care of my appearance. I mean, I just I just started combing my hair. Like I just started a few weeks ago. I'm twenty nine years old. <laughs> and I Now is this for is this for like in house, like scoreboard guy? Like This like would be like like Fly Tie and Jacinda, the, the Greensboro Swarm right. version of that. And you know, I can't okay. Oh man, just having to worry about what all these people see you and you have to, I mean, I'm sure there's more to it than just combing your hair and I can't get behind that. That's why I'm behind the microphone. When we go live, it's going to be very interesting to hear the comments. Uh, I'm just low maintenance. I just don't, I can't, I just can't do it. There's too many great things on Netflix. I I can't, I can't be worrying about my, my, like stranger things. In fact, I gotta, I gotta get on that. You got to get on the Stranger Things first, yeah. Well, that was nice of your of your buddy to think of you. I think he could have done a good job. Well, listen, I maybe I don't know. I you know I don't like a, sell yourself short. Well, we'll see. Maybe maybe you'll try out for it now. May, well, if I could, I would do it for fun for sure. I would do it for a yeah, segment on yeah. the show. I could I could definitely give it a shot. Thanks for listening to Locked on Hornets presented by Hive Talk Live. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, give us a five-star review. Help hardcore Hornets fans like yourself find this podcast. If you'd like to advertise with us, email buzzbuzz at hivetalklive.com. Hive Talk Live is a presentation of SB Nation's at thehive.com. We're back next week with a couple of new shows, uh, including a great segment. We just got done recording it. Uh, For all the fans of the Charlotte Hornets, maybe you've never been to a Hornets game. Maybe it's going to be your first experience this upcoming season or you don't get into Uptown very much. We've got uh, a segment for you, what to do before the game, what to do after the game, and what to eat uh, when you get down to uh, Uptown Charlotte. So stay tuned for that. Uh, For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.